0: There, you know, we're in this weird time of, of the world, this weird time of life. In the middle of March, our, uh, our church switched to online only. And at that time, we, we decided to, to go with our main service and we had the Super Fellowship, that was the setup. You guys are familiar with it, you were doing it for, for a long time. And, and uh, a schedule was created for Super Fellowship teachers, and I was very last on the list of Super Fellowship teachers, and that was May 10th. And I thought, when the schedule came out, I thought, there's no way this is going to go on that long. There's no way I'm teaching Super Fellowship, right? I thought, this thing, will, we'll get back together. This will be quick. And then the weeks kept going by, weeks kept going by, weeks kept going by. And I thought, oh man, it's almost May 10th. <laughs> better start getting ready because we're going to have Super Fellowship. And then turns out the first week we came back to church without Super Fellowship was May 10th. So praise the Lord, uh, he answered my prayer. It didn't go on that long and I didn't preach super fellowship. And so God is good, he did that. Um, and so now, uh, well I'm here today and I'm going to actually bring some of those same thoughts and ideas, some of the same message that I, that I started putting together for that was, is still applicable and we'll look at that uh, today. As you can see, the message will be called Surviving Separation and uh, it'll come out of 1 Timothy chapter 4 and Paul's going to give Timothy some instruction on, on how to survive as a person, how to survive as a church through a period of separation. And periods of separation will be a reality in our life as a believer, in all of our lives as a believer, right? That's just uh, part of the reality uh, of who we are. And before uh, we jump into that, let me also just say this in terms of our world um, it's, it's cursed, right? Man has fallen, and, our, and our, our city has problems, and our nation has problems, and our world has problems. And, and every, every single life is valuable in the eyes of the, of the Lord. Every single life is valuable in the eyes of the Savior. And it is, it is a tragedy when any life comes to an end that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And every time a life ends, that is is the great question. What happened? Where are they now? We have the answer to that, assurance of that in the Word, but we don't know the answer for all the the situations and the people we see on TV and the things that are going on in the world. And we also know that we have the, the solution. One day Jesus Christ himself will come and will establish his kingdom and it will fix all the messes. And until then, there is a, 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 a micro kingdom going on inside the lives of everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the solution. And that is what we need to be praying for our, for our neighbors, for our neighborhood, for our city, for our country, and for our world, that Jesus Christ would change lives individually. That's the answer. So let's pray, let's pray that. Let's pray for this service. And then we will jump into... Uh, the word of God. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help. God, we have no answer to any of the problems that we face, and you have all the answers. And we, uh, God, we, we desperately need you to guide our leaders, to guide our country, and uh, at the end of the day, we need ourselves to be bold to go and to preach your gospel and to bring hope to the, to the hopeless and in the lives of those who are around us. And ultimately, God, we want to see you glorified. We want to see your, your will done. We want to see, we, we pray for your return. God, we pray when for your kingdom. We pray for these things to be made right. And God, I just ask that as we look at your word this morning that you would guide us, that you would teach us, that you would help us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so surviving separation, also I would I would subtitle this, uh, A Missionary's Perspective on Persecution. And by persecution, we're just going to fill in, we could substitute that for being a part right now, because that is our persecution that we have been facing, uh, if you want to use that word. Persecution, I think, is a very strong word um, for, for the situation that we have lived in. When you look at um, persecution from a historical scope, our current situation doesn't compare to what Christians have lived through over the course of the years, right? It's difficult not being together. We all want to be together. We have a command to be together and that's been hard, but you know what, in in those eight weeks where we were apart, nobody was stoned to death, right? Nobody received 40 lashes. A guy named Saul didn't show up at your house with a few friends. And say, hey, I'm going to hold your coach. You guys go in there and take care of some business, right? That's not the world we're living in yet, or hopefully ever. And the bigger view of what's going on, this really isn't a, a huge deal. I know. There's questions of our liberties, and there's, there's questions of, uh, of all of that stuff. But if this is the end of the persecution that we have to face, I'll tell you what surprises me most is that this would be the end of the persecution we have to face. Because when you look at the world and when you look at the things that that God has said, we in this country and in this time have had an unprecedented ability to live our lives with freedoms and persecution free. And that doesn't necessarily follow the biblical narrative because you should suffer persecution. And when you look at Christianity in the rest of the world, they do suffer persecution, real persecution. And that doesn't necessarily surprise me that people are dying today for their faith. What surprises me is that we can still gather freely in worship and we don't suffer that kind of persecution. Because that is really what God told us we were coming to, right? So a missionary's perspective on persecution, because Paul is writing to Timothy, Paul himself is a missionary who definitely understood persecution. Also today you're going to hear from me, uh, and my perspective is a missionary who kind of understands persecution, nothing like Paul, right? And that, so that's what we'll be looking at. And separation will happen, separation will be a part of our life. We are, we are now coming back together, but being separated from the body short-term, long-term for various reasons will be a reality in every believer's life. How do we survive that? What do we do? I wanna give you a key thought real quick. I'll just put this on you right here at the beginning and then we'll get into our text. And I will tell you this, persecution has no effect on God's mission being accomplished, none. Persecution can only affect whether or not you will be a part of God's work. Meaning this, God is sovereign and when he speaks, he tells us what will happen and those things surely will come to pass. That will happen. So in the big picture, the persecution that happens now will not derail God's kingdom and God's work and God's plan. Nothing will change from what God has said will happen. But what happens with persecution is that we go, man, it's getting hard. And then we stop engaging in the mission. See, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, just as he said. And from that perspective, as we look back over our life and over history, we will see that in the big picture, everything happened exactly how God said it would. Then he will look at us and say, yep, but why did you quit? Why did you slow down? Why did you bail out? And you go, yeah, but it got difficult. It was hard. They were saying mean things to me. They, were, they took away my freedoms. They made serving you really hard, God. And so I, I just I backed off for a little while. And Jesus would say, yes, but I already told you the end. You already knew how it would turn out. With or without persecution, you know the end right now. But when persecution comes, this is what happens. Some, and the Bible warns us of this, will fall away. So, what do we do? How do we avoid that? How do we make sure that we are not the ones? How do we make sure that our lives stay mission-focused? Because, above all else, in any situation, in any uh, era, in any point in history, and in any point in your life, that is the bigger question, and that is the ultimate purpose, right? How do I stay on mission Because the world is always working to run us off mission, is always working to derail us from doing what Christ is doing, and our flesh is lazy and doesn't want to be a part of it either. But the reality is that God has called us, no matter what the situation and circumstance, to stay mission-focused. How do we do that? When it gets harder. When it gets tougher. Well, Paul gave us uh, some insight into that. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 12 to 16. It says this. Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, all thy prof- uh, that, all thy, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, this is pretty uh, powerful, the things that Paul is saying here. He's writing some, uh, some really direct statements to, to his disciple. Paul, is a, a mature believer, is writing to Timothy, his own son in the faith. Paul is writing as a, as a pastor to a young pastor growing up in his faith. Paul, and Paul is giving, uh, some throughout the entire epistle, some really practical stuff some really powerful stuff. And here he really hones in. And when you get to verse 16, he kind of boils it down and he says, if you do these things that I'm talking about above, you will both save yourself and them that hear you. Now that's a pretty good outcome, isn't it? That's something I want. What about you? Save myself and those around me and those that hear me. How do we do that? And I I think the way that Paul approached this is he kind of Works you, he gives you the, the, the summary there in 16, but 12 through 16 walks you through it. And he says some strong stuff, like he starts by saying, let not. And he says, be an example. He says, give attendance. He says, neglect not. He says, meditate upon. He says, give thyself holy, He says, take heed unto. He says, continue in. All very strong commands. All things that we need to do and apply in our lives. Really what we're going to focus on, though, will be verse 13, where it says this, till I come, give attendance to three things. This is good, because Paul is not with Timothy. They are separated. They are not able to be together at this point, right? And so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says this, as long as I'm away, as long as we are apart, here is what you need to set your focus on. And so by extension, Jesus Christ is writing to us, the church, as we sit in this body, in this place, on this earth, not in his presence yet, physically at, at, his, at his feet. He says, listen, church, until that day, until we are, once again, until we are united together, give attendance. Put all of your heart, put all of your focus, put all of your mind into these things. And then he just gives us three simple things. And that's really what we're going to look at, all right? In verse 12, just real quickly, he says this. If you're young, then you should serve God and be an example, right? The older generation is always thinking that we're doomed as they look back at the young ones and they go, oh, these next generations coming up, Our, our world is hopeless. And they'll say things like, ah, kids these days. Listen, if you're young, you should give the older generation hope. That's what he's saying. And also what he's saying, in fact, he says, be, there's a six-fold example there in, in, in verse 12. If you're young, live these six things. And the opposite of that, he's also saying this. Listen, if you're older, then you should serve God and you should encourage the youth to come along because the youth always look at the older and they think, man, that generation is so out of touch. They don't understand the world today. They don't know what's going on. They have no idea. Uh, they don't know how to answer a phone. They don't know how to do anything, right? Right. They're so out of touch. Listen, if you're older, then you should, you should live letting, letting the younger generation know that experience with God is always applicable. So there's the summary of verse 12. If you're young or if you're old, you should serve God, and you should, we'll do those things. And then he gets into verse 13, and this is what he says. Listen, until I come, until we're back together, there's a, a few things that you have, have really got to tune into. And this is gonna be simple. I'll just tell you right now. It's gonna be simple. If you came to get your ears tickled, it won't happen today. But if you came for something very real and very practical, something you can take and do and end up in in verse 16 where your life and those around you can be saved, if you wanna make it through trials and tribulation, if you wanna make it through separation, well, this will be it. Maybe God just gave him the message for Sam because some guy just came into his life and stole his daughter away and he's going through a separation. Maybe, it's, maybe Sam's the only person who needs to hear a word from the Lord today. I don't know, but I think you are in, involved in this too. So here we go. The first thing that, that, he, that Paul says, again, basic, but he says this, till I come, give attendance to reading. Isaiah chapter 34 and verse 16 says this, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and... Nobody knows it? I just gave you the answer. Come on, church. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and... Thank you. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. And this is a command of Scripture, and you see it come up over and over all throughout Scripture. And and our first point for study is very, very simple and very easy, but it's this. If you are literate, if you can read and you don't, you're disobedient. You are a rebellious child if you are not opening the word of God. You need to read. And that's just a simple command of scripture. So then the question is, well, how much? I, I don't, you know, Do I read a lot? Do I read a little? Look, I can't answer that necessarily for you. Uh, the pastors or your disciples, we can give you advice and we can give you counsel. I'll tell you this, here's what you need. You need a, it needs to be daily. You need to read every day. That's gotta be a habit in your life to where you're opening the book every single day. Well, how much? You know, you've probably heard if you read three to four chapters a year, you'll get through the, uh, a day, you'll get through the Bible in a year. That's a good goal. If you've never read the whole Bible, you should set that as your goal. And it's not a big goal. I have an audio Bible and it's, it's a 72 hours of playtime which means if you read at a normal pace, you could read the entire Bible in 72 hours, spread that out over a year. That's not a full-time job, right? That's easy. Well, that's still a lot. Okay, well, when Jesus, after his resurrection, he was walking on the road to, to Emmaus and he had two guys with him and he's just expounding the Bible, expounding the Bible, opening the Bible to him until so finally they go, oh, we get it. Did not our hearts burn within us? Well, here's another just general guideline. Read the Bible until God speaks to you. How far do I read? Read until your heart's on fire and God has given you something and and you get it and you go, oh, yeah. Practical point here. Get a journal. Write it down. If you don't have a journal, well, I I don't know. I can't be dogmatic, but I'd say you're probably failing in your reading. That's how strongly I feel about it. I gotta have a journal. So quiet time has gotta be a part of your life And when I say quiet time, I mean, you are given over to the Lord, you're you're tuned in, you're set there, because, you know, sometimes you can read a chapter or two or three and get done and go, I have no idea what I just read. Does that ever happen? A couple couple of you are honest, the rest of you are are lying and you don't want to say, yeah, sometimes that happens to me, Right? That's a reality of my world too, because why? Because my mind is everywhere else and it's racing and, uh, or because my phone is with me and my phone is on and it's, it's buzzing at me and I'm getting these interruptions. That's not quiet time. Set a place where you can get alone with God and nothing will interrupt that. That has to be a habit in your life and if not, you're a disobedient child if you know how to read. read. I'm not good at English. Read it in Spanish. Praise the Lord, Pastor Will. You go, well, I want to tell you this. You know, we we just got into this time of, in in the month of March, we used the word unprecedented, right? I think that was the most used word of the month of March. We are in unprecedented times. And all of a sudden, a lot of us realize we have more time. We don't have to drive to work, we've saved our commute, we, we, you know, or maybe you don't have a job at all, you're at home, you have all this time. And then somehow you get to the end of the day and you're like, what happened, I was so busy, I don't know what happened with my time, I didn't get anything accomplished. I, I decided, and I'm gonna tell you this, not to set a bar or, or a goal or to brag or anything like that, I just decided, that I want to read in the month of March. I said, I don't want to read the entire Bible before we get back together as a church. And so I set a goal. In 30 days, I'm going to get through the entire Bible. That was my goal. Because like I told you, I didn't think this would go on for very long. I didn't think we'd go into May. I thought, we're coming back to church soon. I want to read the whole Bible. I found myself with more time. That's what I want to do with it. It took me 40 days. So I kind of failed, but I read through the entire Bible in in that time. Why? Because I just decided that that was a useful thing to do with my time. Because I know now that our world is getting back to normal. And a lot of us are going to look back on that time and we're going to go, I just wasted one of the greatest gifts that God has given us in our lifetime. It was unprecedented, the amount of time I could have spent with God. The judgment seat will be like that for a lot of us as we look back at our life and go, Wow, what did I do? So you need to read. You go, well, what good is reading? I don't really like reading anyway. The Greek word that, that, that it's used here for reading is a really cool word. I didn't put it on the screen, so you just have to imagine it with me, sorry. But it's anagnosis, right? A-N-A-G-N-O-S-I-S. And when you break that apart, you have that prefix A, which means without or away, or away from, right? And then you have this back half of the word, which is gnosis, which is the, the basis for our word Uh, commonly used as Gnostic or or, or Gnosticism or the Gnostics as a people. This idea, are you familiar with with what that means? That means, uh, simply put, secret knowledge. Right? I know something that you don't know. We did that as kids. Every kid is a Gnostic, right? I know something you don't know. And you gotta come to me to get the truth, right? This is what the Gnostics did. There is a truth out there and you can't find it anywhere else so you have to come to me. Now, this word the, the word reading from the Greek is, is against Gnosticism. Why? Because when you read, it, it protects you from Gnostics. It protects you from people coming in and saying, hey, did you know I heard this thing? And you go, wait a minute. I know how to read and I've read different. If you don't have a habit of reading, listen, then you are, you are more likely to fall victim to the Gnostics. And I say that like it's spooky and like they're out there, but they're not. They're, they're everywhere. They're here. There are people that will come to you and say, hey, I, I, I learned this thing. No one else has figured it out yet. Let me teach it to you. They go, really? Nobody else has figured it out. You're the one. But guess what? Sorry, my friend. I can also read, and I do read, and I just don't see that. See, the common word for, for Gnostics today would just be conspiracy theorist. Right? If you can read and if you have a habit of reading, that will protect you from all the conspiracy theories that are out there. But I saw a video. I'm sure sure you did. There's a lot of them. But I heard a podcast. Somebody told me. Listen, Paul didn't say give attention to, to sermons or to podcasts or to videos, all of those things can be good, all of those things can also be bad. What Paul said is give attention to reading. Get in the book and make that your habit. If your relationship with God is dependent upon a video series, it's it's out of whack. It needs to be dependent on your nose in the book, the Holy Spirit working with you. Well, this podcast is so good and I'm learning a lot of deep stuff. Great, are you reading the book? if you're not that podcast is going to mess you up all right so protect yourself from the Gnostics be a reader set a goal I just that's what we got to do right I'm not a reader so what do I got to set a goal Pastor Briscoe set a goal to read more books this year that's a good goal He told me that. I want to read X number of books this year. You should have a goal like that, too. You should read the Bible. You should probably read a few other books, too. It's just a good practice, all right? Next. So here's here's the thing. Don't get caught up giving your life to trying to figure out secrets. There are a lot of secrets out there, and you you can get down that rabbit hole, and you can give your entire life to trying to figure out a secret, and it will get you nowhere. Listen, that which has been revealed is far more than you can figure out in a lifetime. Take the things that are clear in the Bible and the things that God has has made clear and you you dwell on that. Somebody told me this when I was young. I don't know who. I don't know who to attribute it to. You might have heard it. If you've never heard it, then you'll attribute it to me when you repeat it and I'll sound smart, right? But it's this, a deep understanding of the simple things of God will produce more fruit than a simple understanding of the deep things of God. And this is what we do. We go, I think if I could just get a little bit of a handle on some of these really hard topics, some of these prophecies, some of this end time stuff, stuff that'll happen when I'm not even on this earth, if I could understand that a little, then that would be good for my walk with Christ. No, it wouldn't. What you need is to get a really solid handle on things that you're gonna go, that's really basic. Look, take the discipleship lessons. Study those for about 10 years. That will produce fruit in your life. Know those things really well. You want something to study? Study godliness with contentment. Figure that out. Why? Because that will bring you great gain. And it will probably take you until the day you die to plumb the depths of godliness. Just work on that. But I'll never get to figuring out what the mark of the beast actually is. Well, praise the Lord. That's okay. You don't need to know it. Look, I like it too. If, uh, if Pastor Briscoe is, is Saturday night trying to get his sermon ready for Sunday, it's largely my fault. Because that means I showed up at church during the week and I went up to say hi, and then we just talked for like three hours. And then he goes, bro, I'm supposed to be studying. Because we you know we enjoy each other's company. And and once in a while we'll talk about stuff like, hey, the technology and, and how does AI play into uh these prophecies and, and and we'll we'll bounce those ideas around. It's fun. But you know what? We spent about two weeks on baptism. We go, you guys are pastors, you should have baptism figured out. Yeah, but we spent two weeks together just and not all, just like two of the baptisms, we're, we're just trying to unpack that and trying to get a better understanding of that. That will produce fruit in your, in your life. Amen. So that which has been revealed is, is, is plenty, right? That's what brings you great gain. And so now next, the goal of reading. So, okay, the goal of, of reading then is to understand. If you are are just passing through it and you're not grasping anything. Well, what good is that? Nehemiah 8, 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and it caused them to, and caused them to understand the reading. This is the work of the preacher. This is a good summary of what we should be doing from the pulpit. We should open the book and give a clear sense of what it says, but this is also what the Holy Spirit will do in your life when you open up the book. In Daniel chapter five, a hand wrote on a wall. Nobody knew what it said. Everybody freaked out. Verse 15. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing. That was one problem, but also, nor could they make known the interpretation thereof. Right? Verse 16, and I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Daniel, you can make the thing understandable. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 30, and Philip ran thither to him and, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? do you understand? So this is the next thing. We open the Bible and we read it so that we can understand it. That is the goal of reading. So slow down if you need to. That's okay. Take time and dig into a word, dig into a a, a verse, dig into a paragraph, figure out context, study sentence structure. Oh, I got to learn more English. Yes. Study English whatever it takes to make sure that you actually understand what is being said. And by the way, it's a spiritual book. So before you jump into it, still yourself. Get God on your side. Spend some time praying and ask him like David did, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Because you got to understand it, right? Next the goal of understanding is doing. I think you knew we were trying to get there. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deuteronomy 17, 19, and it shall be with him, talking about the, the word, the kings were instructed to write a copy of the word, uh, of the law, and it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. And that is the goal. The goal is, okay, so I sat down in the morning, I spent some time with the Lord, I understood what he said. Now what do I do? Close it and move on. Time to go about my business. Right? Wrong. The goal is I take those things and I live them. I apply them. I actually do it. And not like, This kind of general euphoric idea of someday I'll do it. Okay, I'm, I'm living it. It's a part of me now. No, like, I go find a coworker. I go find a neighbor. I be intentional about doing the things that God has taught me. Did you know that when God speaks to you, part of the reason he's speaking to you is because you need it? Another part of the reason God is speaking to you is because somebody you are connected to needs it. Did you know that? God gave you a word not just for you, God gave you a word so you can do it. And if you're reading the word daily, and I would say he's probably given you something every day that is applicable in your life and the situations you'll encounter that day. Tune in and, and use it. Study point number two. If you are not reading, then you are not preparing for the reunion. <clears throat> Excuse me. if you're not reading, then you're not getting ready for uh, your ultimate meeting with the Lord. In the Gospels, the word read appears 12 times. 10 of those times is Jesus looking at people and saying, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Over and over, that's how read is used in the Gospels. And Jesus is questioning the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees and going, hey, why don't you understand this? This is basic stuff. You claim to be religious. You should know this. Why don't you get it? And and, and this is, I think, is is Jesus' way of pointing us to to what will happen when we stand before the Lord. And I'll give you that in just a second. First, I want to give you a, a working definition for religious. What does it mean to be a religious person? It's one who does the expected or required acts, but has no knowledge of God's heart, or we could say God's word. I go through the motions and I do the things I should, but I actually don't know God at all. That's religious. I don't know his heart. And Jesus continues to ask these people, have you not read? Now remember, till I come, give attendance to reading. Why? Because when he comes, we will stand before him in judgment and Jesus Christ will ask each and every one of us, I believe, this same question. So here's a judgment seat preview for you. What will happen at the judgment seat? Jesus will look at you and say, How come you didn't know this? I wrote it down and I gave it to you and you didn't get it. Judgment seat preview is this. You will give an account for your love for God's word. You want to get ready to get back together, to get together with our Lord? You better be loving this word. Till I come. Give attendance to reading. Next, till I come. Give attendance to exhortation. Big word, what does it mean? It means a calling near. It means comfort. It means consolation. It means admonishing. It means encouraging. There's going to be two Greek words here on the screen behind you. The top one is the Greek word that is used for exhortation. Berakles. I don't speak Greek. If you do, forgive me. The next one, I, I, I speak Strong's. Like I just read Strong's and use it, okay? The next one, And it's the very next word in in the Strong's is parakletos. That's the word for the comforter that is used to refer to the Holy Spirit. And they are very, very similar words. They come out of the same root. They they have essentially the same same meaning. So the, the easiest way that I can sum up what does exhortation mean, I would say exhortation is this. Exhortation is manifesting to others the things that the Holy Spirit does in you. There's a limit to that because I'm not the seal of anyone's salvation, but the Holy Spirit brings comfort. If you're going to exhort others, you should bring comfort to their lives. The Holy Spirit is with me. Uh, You should be in the presence of others. The Holy Spirit uses the word to guide and to teach me. That's what exhortation is about. So think of all the things that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, and as much as you can apply that in your life to someone else, do that. That's exhortation. Okay? Okay? So until I come, this is what you should be about. Point number three, study point number three. Exhortation is done, number one, by opening your mouth. I want to be a comforter. Part of that means you've got to learn what to say and how to say it and when to say it. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying. Part of comforting means we've got to speak. For some of us, that's hard, Right? I just don't know what to say in a hard situation. I don't know what to tell somebody who's going through something difficult. Or all of us have someone in our life who is an exhorter, who is a comforter to us. We have counselors who give wise counsel all the time that know what to say at, at the right time. I think Pastor Best, when I think of you know, ex- exhortation, I think of Pastor Best because every conversation I'm in with him, he always has uh, a word of, of scripture to say, hey, yeah, this is what the Bible says. I'm like, yeah, oh, thanks. He is good at that. You want to you wanna, you wanna, you wanna be discipled and exhorting? Get around best for a while and just listen to the way he communicates, right? So you, you have to learn how to, how to open your words. Another part of exhortation is this, point number four, is that exhortation is done through presence. There is, there is comfort in being together. In 2 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul says that Titus coming to him uh, exhorted him, encouraged him, right? So that's another aspect of, of this idea of being uh, an exhorter, uh, being a comfort to others. And, and study point number five is this, exhortation is empowered by the word of God. Acts thirteen fifteen, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them saying, ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on, notice what happened. They come into the, into the body and into the synagogue. The people are gathered together. There's, there's presence. And then they do this. They open the, the scripture and they read it. And after the scripture is read, they say, who's got a word of exhortation? Why do you struggle with providing comfort? Maybe because you failed on the first step and you haven't been in the word. Because true exhortation comes from the words of God. We have opened the word, I've opened the word in my life, now I have something to pass on. The word's open, now we can exhort, right? Because some people's presence just isn't, some people's presence makes it worse. Job had some friends that were really poor comforters. Please, just don't even be here, please don't open your mouth. But listen, if you want to survive separation, you need to be an exhorter and you need exhorters in your life. That means we need to stay connected. I think Del Thomas and, and, and really a lot of people, Pastor Briscoe, a lot of the pastors have done an amazing job with this over the last few months. We haven't been together presently, you know, physically. We're not together. But Del took Faith Fellowship and gave a few men charge over small groups and said every week just reach out, communicate with them, make sure they're in Bible study, make sure they're reading. You know, and, and I know every... Kaya has been doing that. Everyone's been doing that. What have we been doing? We're saying we have to keep exhorting one another because when we are separated, if we are not exhorting, we will fall to the wayside. We will wander. We must have that. Here's a quick thought. So can we exhort without presence? And yes, we can. We've been doing it. We haven't been physically present. I think that's ideal, and we all know that. Uh, But we can exhort without being physically present. And let me tell you this. I think this is interesting. Here at Midtown, we have a a rule, in Kidtown in particular, that if your kid is sick, they can't come to church. Okay? The rule is that your kid has to be 24 hours fever-free without medication. You can't, like, cover it up and fake it before you can bring them back to church. Why? Because we don't want everybody to get sick. So we actually have a policy in place here that forbids you at times from assembling. (gasps) What? Church that forbids people from assembling? Yeah, we do. But no one has ever freaked out about that, right? You've had a sick kid and you stayed home. If you're an adult and you're sick, you should not come to church that Sunday. That's okay. You should not assemble here when you are sick because what we're really trying to do is to protect assembly. Because if you come and bring your sick, then next week, like everybody's sick. We have the, a policy that says it is okay for certain, in certain situations and circumstances to not be physically present together. It's actually better for the body that way. No one has ever freaked out about that. No one has ever gone crazy and said, well, I'm bringing my kid even though they're throwing up. I'm putting them in kid town. They'll throw up on your kid because I'm going to assemble. And now we're in a situation where we're saying, we don't want everyone to get sick. You're like, oh, I'm going to assemble anyway. Listen, you can still exhort. If you want to be here, there's room for you. There's seats. Come. If you're not at peace about being here yet, then then stay home. But be exhorted. Be connected is the point. Don't get separated from the body. It's easier when we're together, but there will be hard times. Take it from a missionary. This is odd too. We have a command to assemble ourselves together. We also have a commission to disassemble, to take some of our members and send them out of the assembly, right? That's what missions is. That's what the great commission is. Some people will not assemble with this body anymore. Instead, we will send them to a new location, and they will reproduce that body. Ultimately, eventually, they will assemble, but there will be a time period where if you are a missionary, well, you will go out, and you will look around, and you'll be like, where's the body? Who do I assemble with? And yet, you're still doing exactly what God has commanded you to do. And I I looked at my wife. I'm like, I guess we are the body. That's it. I don't have all of you. And, And for us, This was interesting and weird. For a long time, we lived in a society that, and in a situation, you know, where we were disconnected from this body physically. And that's what God had called us to do. Yet we still regularly, uh, you know, Skyped with people here. I had like an every other week meeting with Eric. And so he would exhort and he would encourage, he would comfort, he would, you know, help me with just the various things I was going through. And same thing with Rosie, she would connect with various people and we would sit down and we would watch Midtown. For four years, we were still uh, connected to the body in that Sam was preaching to us and, and we would watch that online. And then we came back to the States and we're like, this is amazing. We get to gather with the body again, this is good. And then we weren't allowed to gather with the body. And we're like, well, this is normal. For us, we're like, oh. This is what we've been doing for five years. So it, you know, We can still exhort and, and do all of that. So you know, this has been a weird time. It's been a missions prep time. I'll just tell you that. If you're considering the mission field, these last few months have been a small taste of what it's like to go where there is nobody and begin a work. But you have to stay connected. We've got to move quick. Last, we'll do this real fast. Till I come... Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and finally to doctrine. Doctrine is um, maybe a, a $5 word for teaching. That's what it means. It's really a simple word. Tune in with everything you have. Hold on to. Pay attention to the doctrine, to the teaching. And that's really the, one of the key themes of this book of, uh, of Timothy Uh, It appears 13 times, the, the word doctrine, in the book of Timothy, first and second together, more than anywhere else in the Bible. You want to understand what God's view of doctrine is? You read first and second Timothy. And interestingly enough, it's also one of our foundational places that we go to understand what? Discipleship. Because those two are intimately related. Discipleship is about protecting and passing on sound doctrine. That's what discipleship is about, and that's what Paul told Timothy. The things that you receive from me, pass those on to someone else. Those are the doctrines, the truths, the things that, that, that our faith is built upon. Yes, the process is relational, but hey, what was goal number one again? Oh, yeah, it's that you get established in the word right back to where we started, because that's important. So 1 Timothy, you see it all through in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul wrote this, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. This is what Paul's saying. This is what this part of what your, your purpose is, Timothy. Stay there, uphold the doctrines. Again, now back to the beginning. That begins by reading because in the, that secret knowledge thing, they can't come in and trip you up, but you hold on to that. There's a warning Chapter 4 begins with a warning here in First Timothy. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils because doctrine just means teaching. The Bible gives us many different types of doctrine that exist. There is the good doctrine, the, the doctrines of, of Christ, the doctrine of God, the doctrines of, of the gospel, but there's also bad doctrines as well. Right here, we're warned against doctrines of devils. There's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There's the doctrines of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, so, and it goes on and on. There's all kinds of doctrines, which means what? Just as you are trying the spirits, you have got to be trying... The words that you're hearing. Try your teachers as well. Holding fast to the doctrine requires that you try the teachers because there are doctrines of devils that are out there as well. Nobody gets a free pass. Oh, but I love them so much. Nobody gets a free pass. Check it with what God has written, compare it, ask someone else. That's how exhortation works too. As you mature, 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. There is a labor that comes in the doctrine that that is associated with the elders. As you mature, you will realize that the greatest work is in the word and the doctrines. And the older you get, you, you start realizing that you're putting more and more time into just studying doctrine. That's good. Judgment Seat of Christ Preview. Did I do that with exhortation? I think we skipped it. Here's a preview. Jump back to exhortation. Judgment Seat of Christ Preview with exhortation. You will uh, give an account for how well you loved or edified others how well you maintained the, the unity, how, how you interacted with the body. When Jesus comes, he'll say, what about my body? What about exhortation? Were you doing that? Were you busy encouraging others or not? Lastly, judgment seat preview with uh, the doctrine. You will, give an accounta- you will be held accountable to what you have done with God's word, meaning who did you teach God's word to? What did you do with the doctrines? Who did, who did you evangelize? Who did you disciple? Essentially, what what that will boil down to is who is standing here at this judgment seat with you because of what you did with God's word? Three simple things that we are to hold on to if we're gonna survive separation. Three simple things that will get us ready for the judgment seat of Christ. We need our worship team. We need to to close in worship. We We gotta wrap up. If you've struggled through separation, through this time, if you haven't been surviving well, if you haven't been reading, if you haven't stayed connected, if you haven't been holding to the doctrines, if you've let someone get into your ear and draw you away, well, today's the day to put an end to all of that. The judgment is coming. We must be ready. You can come forward. You can pray down here. There will be counselors if you need them. We will sing and we are done. God bless. God bless. Would you stand with us? And as we sing, if God's dealing with your heart, I want to invite you to come forward and let us pray with you.